to get through this as best I can. Uh, really, when I look at this sermon, I kind of have four sermons in one. I, could, I would love to expound on each of these sections and really just like dive into it, but we don't have that kind of time today. But they're all so interconnected. It is wonderful how God kind of just helped me put this thing together. I'm real excited about it. But before I get to it, I just have a question. Have you ever signed a contract before? Those lovely, lovely pieces of paper that we sign our life away on, right? I mean, it's just, that's what it is. One of the most common types of contracts that we sign is probably like during a car purchase, right? You probably sign more car purchase agreements and those things more than anything else that you sign in your life, unless you do like real estate and you sell like a billion houses a year or whatever, it is, I don't know. But car contracts are usually what we are signing the most of in this life. At least that's what I found true of me. Every couple of years, I'm like, hmm, that looks nice. It's not smart, but it looks nice. Anyways, it happens, right? And then we, we sign away essentially our life for the next 60 months or so on what we promise to do and promise to send to the bank. In turn, we get the car in our name with a pink slip with our name on it, and it looks all fancy and cool, and then you never look at it anyways until you go to sell the thing. But we get the cool little piece of paper that says it's ours. And it's awesome, it's exciting, it's fun. But the Bible is full of these contracts. However, they're not called contracts, they're called covenants. And they are littered throughout the entire Bible. They are everywhere. You have Abraham, you have Moses, you have David. You have all these guys, and all these guys have covenants. Either with other people, like David and Jonathan had a covenant, or between God and man, God had a covenant and included Abraham on it. The, the Mo Moses had one. Uh, David, all these, we had all these guys who have these covenants with uh, God. And these covenants are divine, meaning they are initiated or started by God. They are God's idea. Now, during a covenant, it is a simple transfer of words of saying, I will give you this and you will provide this for me or whatever it may be. But it's lifetime. It lasts forever. This is marriage, you could say. Marriage is not a contract. As long as you look at marriage like a contract, it will be, you owe me this. But when it's a covenant, it's a divine covenant initiated and started by God. What God joins together, let no man separate. That's why those words are said at a marriage covenant ceremony, right? And so I'm sorry if you thought marriage was anything different. Marriage is a covenant, meaning all of you belongs to the other person and all of the other person belongs to you. It is a covenant. The only way out of this covenant is death. That's right. That's my wife. <clears throat> Right? If I fail to make terms with this covenant in Bible times, I'd be put to death. Because a covenant is more severe than a contract. In a contract, it's hey, you get a slap on the wrist and say, hey, let's get this fixed. In a covenant, if I break terms, I die. And if I ever want to get out of the covenant, I have to die. Right? But a covenant didn't just last for one generation. Usually, covenants span generations. Hey, my kids are going to benefit from what you can provide and your kids are going to benefit from what I could provide. And even when you and I are long dead and gone, our grandkids are going to enjoy the benefits of this covenant we've made together. That's what a covenant is. That's what marriage is. And a side note here, not trying to get kicked off Facebook today, but however, you must talk about it. The reason why... Man-to-man -man marriage or woman-to-woman -woman marriage is not allowed in a Christian viewpoint 
is simply because it's a divine covenant. Marriage was not man's idea. Marriage is and always will be God's idea only between a man and a woman. I'm not trying to offend you, but I would be a pretty bad Christian if I didn't stand by the Bible. So I don't have this stance to offend. I don't have this stance to argue. I don't have this stance to fight with you. That's not why I say what I say. I say this because I believe the Bible. And I'm going to follow that thing as best I can. Now, you want to live your life? Go live your life. Does not mean I will not give you the warnings of what's coming. Right? I'm going to share the gospel in its truth, in its entirety, seasoned with love and grace in hopes that it would be received. But marriage is between a man and a woman. It is a divine covenant. And that's why God, his stance, and the Bible is against homosexuality, behavior in marriage, or in general in the first place. So let's cross that bridge and let's move on from it. Covenants are not easygoing. When we make a covenant with Jesus, what happens is this is, or in just Old Testament times, they'd make a covenant. Blood would be shed. And they would say, here's our agreement. Here's our terms. You provide this. I provide this. Generations will follow this covenant. They'd usually like cut their hand or their arm and they would transfer blood. So they would shake hands. It's like a spit, you know, shake, but a lot more than just spit. Okay. Kind of gross. I ain't sharing blood with anybody. Okay. I'm just letting you know right now. I ain't cutting covenants with nobody. I ain't sharing your blood. I got, I got my blood. You got yours. Let's keep it that way. In the Bible, though, they would share blood, meaning I am all yours and you are all mine because we are one together. This covenant binds us together as one, and I will look out for you. I will die for you. I will kill for you. Holla at your boy, right? I will be there for you, okay? That's what a covenant was. Now, when we come into covenant with Jesus, okay, there's no contracts here. There's no negotiations, When you come in covenant with Jesus, you say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my savior. I have dedicated and committed my life to him. A covenant for you and Jesus then is terms of surrender. There's no negotiations. He's not going to sit there and say, hey, well, maybe you can allow this in your life. No, no, no. There's no negotiations. He's made it plain and clear for us. Why are there no negotiations in a covenant between us and Jesus? Well, a just and a fair God cannot allow for negotiations. Because why? He's steadfast. His love covers a multitude of sins. However, his love does not permit them to continue. So therefore, there is no negotiations. You're either in or you're out. Right? I, I, I heard this thing the other day. It was a story. And I didn't share this first service, but it fits perfectly right here. Right? Imagine there's this guy and he's sitting on this fence. And on this side of the fence is is heaven, it's Jesus, it's God. And on this side of the fence, it's Satan and and his kingdom and and the powers of darkness. And there's this guy, and he hasn't decided where he wants to be. He's like, right now I'm on the fence. I don't know if I want to go right. I don't know if I want to go left. I I don't know where I sit. And so God says, hey, that's fine. I'll let you figure it out. And so God backs away. On the other side, Satan says, hey, okay, I'll let you figure it out. And he walks away for a second. The guy's sitting there alone and kind of pondering, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Satan comes back and says, oh, I forgot something. You're coming with me. The guy says, no, I haven't decided yet. He says, no, the fence is mine. You can stay on the fence. It's his fence. It's his fence. You want to be there? That's fine. But being on the fence, you've, you've made the decision. There, there is no negotiations here. It's terms of surrender. And I want to dive into this today. 
Like I said, I got four separate things that I could separate into four separate sermons, but I don't want to do that. I put it all together because it makes sense. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, says this is Jesus speaking, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell, the three little piggies, right? And great was its fall. When Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Church, I just did you a huge disservice. I started a scripture with the word therefore. Therefore is a concluding statement. Therefore is not how you start a conversation. I was in the room the other day, laying on the couch. My beautiful wife walked in the room. She said, are you even listening to me? And I thought to myself, what a weird way to start a conversation. Like, what are you talking about? That, that is not how you open a conversation with somebody. Clearly, conversation was happening. It was a monologue, but it was happening. Right? What a weird way to start a conversation. Therefore, what a weird way to start a sentence. If I want to know what Jesus is talking about, I had better go back and look at the previous verses and see exactly what he's talking about. Because this is a great portion of scripture. However, it can be taken out of context very easily. Like, okay, I'm just supposed to build my life. Got it. Okay, my responsibility. Got it. Awesome. No, 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 no. There's so much more to just you building your life of what Jesus is getting at here. So what is there for? What, what are we getting at here? Well, Jesus just spent the previous few minutes saying this. You have got to be aware of the teachers in your life. That's scary. He says, hey, you need to be mindful of the people that you listen to. If someone's going to teach you the Bible, specifically talking about the Bible, you had better make sure if they have good fruit in their life. You had better make sure that they are a person who is genuine, who has love, someone who cares for his neighbor and loves his neighbor, not someone who's in it for personal gain. And you're the judge of that. You, the hearer, are the judge. Today, church, if I do not have good fruit, as Jesus says in my life, that if I am unkind to you when I'm off this platform, if I am rude to you, if I am short with you, if I do not express the fruit of the Spirit in my life, the Bible says, specifically Jesus speaking in red letter, yep. do not listen to them. You're the judge of that. Church, if my life does not line up with the word of God, please don't listen to a word I say. And for the sake of us all, just go ahead and leave. I'm not worth a drop of your time. If I do not have good fruit in my life, Jesus says, do not listen. See, what I love in today's day and age is I love the availability of who's out there who I can listen to. Right now, I can go home this afternoon. I can look up any church I want. Name a church. I don't care where it's at. New Zealand. I'll look it up. I don't care. And I can find out what that pastor said today. I, I love that technology has opened this up for us. Yeah. I love that I can listen to anybody I want to. You could be in your chair right now. You have AirPods in listening to some other pastor if you wanted to. I'd fight you in the parking lot after, but <laughs> you have that option. You could do it right now if you wanted to. You could listen to anybody you want. People are listening right now on Facebook. Some people click on, click right off because I'm not engaging enough. That's fine by me. Okay. I'm not offended by it. I'm not. 
I love that we have podcasts up the wazoo right now. I can find any teaching on any subject that I want right now, and it's biblically based. I love that. However, I have come to know a hard truth, that there is so much deception in the American church today because of this. Because you have no idea who you are listening to. I have no idea who they are. Not a clue in the world. And they may say something that goes, oh, wow, that's really good. But I have been shocked and appalled at the teachings that I've heard lately from people I've looked up to my whole life. Going, wow, if I could preach like that guy, that'd be awesome. I don't want to preach like anybody. I just want to be me. But growing up, I wanted to sound like someone else, be someone else. I wasn't comfortable in who I was. But man, I have seen so many things come out, especially in the past couple of weeks, just one thing after another. I was just texting with a friend the other day and they're like, bro, have you seen this video? And I watched the video and I was shocked. I'm not gonna drop names today. There's no reason for that. But it's like, how do you come to that conclusion with the same Bible that I have? That there's no possible way that you can actually see that Bible and go, oh, that's what it means. The devil's main goal is to twist truth And the Bible says, even this, the the elite of those will be drawn away in the end times. I am seeing that happen. If you don't think so yet, I'm telling you right now, we are in the end times. I am watching prophecies happen. I am watching people by the boatloads fall away from the true, honest teaching of the word of Jesus Christ. It will not happen here with Pastor Stan. I'm telling you right now, it will not happen. Not a chance of it happening here. But... The Bible is very clear. Jesus says, hey, you're going to know them by their fruit. Here's what I've come to learn. There's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit in my life and the gifts of the Spirit in my life. I used to think, oh, growing up, like I grew up in church. I grew up in a very Pentecostal background and all this stuff. It was awesome. I loved loved the gifts of the Spirit, but I didn't see much fruit of the Spirit. Even as a young kid, I was kind of shocked and appalled at some of the things that I heard, some of the things that I've seen. And Jesus tells us, hey, no, I don't care what their gift is. If they don't have the fruit to back up the gift, they are not worth your time. Amen. Right? I used to think the fruit of the Spirit means that people in my life are getting saved. The fruit of the Spirit means that people in my life are being changed when they're around me and, and following more after Jesus. No, 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 no. That is not fruit of the Spirit. That's the gifts of the Spirit in operation that people are being impacted by. But the fruit of the Spirit is a personal thing. It's something that goes on on the inside of me. The fruit of the Spirit should be in my life. Now, I say it very particular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. But let's let's see what they are. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, it's not on the screen, but these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Church, despite popular teachings, there are not nine fruits of the Spirit. I didn't get much of an amen on that. Let me explain. There are not nine fruits of the Spirit. There's not 10 of them. There's not 12 of them. There's not three of them. There's not two of them. There is one fruit of the Spirit. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is. He does not say the fruits of the Spirit are. Here's what I've learned. When I take a bite of an apple, what do I get? An apple. When I take a bite of an orange, what do I get? When I take a bite of the Spirit, what do I get? His Spirit. The fullness of who He is in me. I don't have to take nine different areas of my life and submit them to Jesus. I take my life, I, singular, I submit it to the one and only Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And in turn, my spirit is renewed, refreshed, and my actions are changed by His Spirit. Therefore, I have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. These things work together interchangeably. 
Paul, when trying to find a word, he says the fruit of the Spirit is, and he goes on this rant, it's this, this love, this joy, it's this peace that, that wells up inside of you that causes goodness and, and it causes kindness and, and faithfulness to God. It, it's, it's a fruit that causes self-control. Yep. See, he's using adjectives to describe what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Not, not nine different things, he produces one thing and it encompasses all of those things. It's all part of the same. I've learned this is that when I'm struggling with my, my patience, God give me patience and I drive on Eagle Road. God's not working on my patience. He's working on my love for my neighbor. Because obviously I'm losing patience because I'm not loving those around me. Because why? They're slowing me down. Right? When, I, when I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with my patience. I'm also struggling being kind. I'm going to honk that horn. It's going to happen, right? I, I'm struggling being kind and I'm tr- struggling with being good to other people. I'm struggling in my faithfulness to who I say that I am. I am a, a man of God following Jesus. I shouldn't be losing my patience, but I'm losing my patience. Therefore, I'm losing my faithfulness. It's all so interconnected with one another. There are not nine fruits of the Spirit. There's one fruit of the Spirit And he's working on me, on you, constantly trying to change us and transform us into these adjectives. Someone who's loving and peaceful and gentle and good at all times. Not nine things, one thing. A healthy lifestyle that you are trying to create through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is telling us in Matthew 7, it is of utmost importance to see the fruit of someone's life before you submit to their teaching. Before you say, yes, I want them to teach me the word of God. It's important, Jesus is saying, to know who they are. And like I said, I love YouTube and Facebook and and I love that we have podcasts. I love all these things. But be cautious of who you listen to. Be mindful of who that person is. Seems like all the time, another thing is coming about another pastor who was doing something behind the scenes. You go, bro, come on. People that I'm like, hey, you should listen to this guy. He's good, really good. I'm like walking back with my foot in my mouth a week later saying, hey, sorry. It can be very scary on who we allow to speak into our lives. Again, if I am rude and unkind, I don't care if a million people fill this altar. I lay hands on every single one of them. They all walk away healed and whole. That does not qualify me to be a gifted leader. What qualifies me to be a gifted leader in the eyes of Jesus is I portray the fruit of the spirit in my life. And if I do not, church, please do not listen to me. You're the judge of that. Not me. You're the judge. You're the one who gets to sit there. It's not your job to look at Sister Sarah down the row and say, "Mm, she don't got the fruit. No. That's not what Jesus is saying. He He doesn't say, look to your left and right to see who's got fruit. He says, look to the person who's speaking. Do they have the fruit? And if they do not, get out. That's Jesus' words. It's a warning to me. It's a warning to other pastors. The fruit of the Spirit in my life is greater than the gifts of the Spirit in my life. Don't follow someone because of giftedness. Even 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us this. Desire the gifts, but pursue love. Desire that God would move among you and that gifts of the Spirit would be in operation, but pursue love. Let love be your highest aim, your highest goal. Let love be the motivating factor of your life. Someone's giftedness does not mean that they are qualified for leadership. It's someone's fruit. Are they producing healthy fruit in their life? That loving, joyful, peaceful, gentle, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control type of fruit. Are they producing that? If not, 
they are not worth an ounce of your time. So with that being said, I want to be someone who teaches the word of God in a genuine heart and love for my neighbor. That's who I want to be. I'm not defending myself this morning. I don't have to look at my fruit. And Jesus says this, if they are not producing good fruit in their life, therefore it's going to cause you to build your house on the sand. Or if they have good fruit in their life, it's going to help you build on the rock. So there's some context for us. Who are you listening to? And you can tell that by what you're building your life on. You take their advice, you listen to their teachings, you listen to what they say. Are they giving you the wisdom you need to build your life on the rock? Or are they giving you not the wisdom to build your life on the sand? There's the context for us. That's what we're looking at today. It changes the whole narrative. It changes the whole aspect of what Jesus says when you build your house on the rock. Does the person I'm listening to portray a lifestyle that is in line with the Bible? If so, they are going to help me build my life on the rock. If they have bad fruit in their lives, they are not going to help me build my life on the rock. Instead, my life will be built on the sand. And when the storms of life come, I will fall away. Who you listen to is of utmost importance, church. So how can I make sure that I am building my life on the rock? Number one, motive. Let's turn this inward now. How can I make sure that I am building my life on the rock? Number one is motive. It's extremely difficult to be honest with yourself on this. Actually, all three points that I have today are extremely difficult to do. To sit there and then look at yourself and say, okay, what is my motive? Why is it so hard to do this? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine, tells us that the heart of a man and a woman is the most deceptive of all things. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will play tricks on you. Well, I'm doing this because of such and such reason. Are you really though? Like when you really dig down deep, you'll find the answer. You'll find the truth. What is my motive? What Pastor Stan and I joke about this all the time. What's your angle? What are you getting at? What's your angle? What are, you, what are you trying to do here? Are you trying to leverage it for yourself? Or are you trying to leverage it for the organization? Are you trying to leverage it for your family? Like, what, what's your motive? What's your angle here? What are you getting at? Here's a Jack Sparrow thought of the day. Why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? At our core, we're human. So, from birth, we learn selfishness. We learn to take care of ourselves. One of the first words every kid says is mine. Thank you so much. The support today is incredible. Mine, 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 mine. If you go up to that room right now, room number one with all those wonderful kiddos in there. By the way, if you still want to help out in there, we could really use the help. Talk to Katie. But <clears throat> thank you for the shout out. <laughs> you go up there right now. I promise you, you'll hear the word mine at least 20 times. And it's probably going to be the teacher saying, that's mine. <laughs> we learn from a young age selfishness. Yeah. It's in our core. It's who we are. Yeah. We're human in a sin-filled body, in a sin nature. We learn selfishness first. We're hungry. We cry. We want our way. We cry. You want the remote to the TV. You take the batteries out. You give them the remote. They cry. No matter what you do, they want what makes them happy. Just like you want what makes you happy. They want what gives them pleasure. You want what gives you pleasure. That, that's, that's the way of the world. That is human nature at its core. I, I asked the, the youth group this, this question uh, two weeks ago. So youth group, no, no cheating. What do you need for a successful relationship? Just shout out some ideas. Let me, what, what do you guys got today? Honesty. Honesty. Trust. Trust. What else? Respect. Faithfulness. Anything else? 
Communication. I was waiting for communication. Thank God someone said it. But what, what else? Empathy. Empathy. The empathy is a fantastic one. What's that? Honor. Honor. Fantastic. These are some of the same answers I got from the students. So parents, great job. You're, you're, you're killing it. But here, here's, here's one thing that, that, I've, that I've learned that is absolutely needed in a relationship. It's a weird that actually in Christian circles is kind of scary to say, but it's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Compromise. Compromise. Why, well, why is compromise so important? Well, compromise says I'm giving up what makes me happy. I'm giving up what I want. I'm fighting selfishness inside of me for you, for the benefit of the other person. The other day we were driving, my wife and I love her to death. And we were hungry. Hunger's a real thing. Hangry is a real thing. Right? Your boy was hungry. I was hungry. I was ready for some food. I wanted to eat. I was ready to get at it. And we're driving down Meridian Road. I look at my wife. I give her the puppy eyes. I was like, baby, I love you so much. I'm laying on thick. I'm like, I started quoting Solomon. Your eyes, or your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> and your teeth are all there. <laughs> baby, did I tell you that you look so good today? Right? And she's like, we're hungry. What do you want? And I was like, girl, I want Arby's. <laughs> right? I don't know if you know this, but if you've been on q and know on the Facebook group, you know Arby's is a real deal. They got the meats, okay? So we're driving, right? I'm like, baby, can we please, 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 like I beg of thee, please, Arby's. I'll do anything you want. You want a cow? You want a horse? I'll buy you a horse. Please just take me to Arby's. No, you're not getting a horse. <clears throat> I'll do anything you want. Please just take me to Arby's. She said, okay, let's go to Arby's. I was like, she loves me. Now, if you don't know, my wife hates Arby's, hates it. She does not like the meats, okay? I, on the other hand, you give me a double roast beef sandwich with horsey sauce on the bottom bun. It's about how it hits the palate, okay? And then a whole bunch of Arby's sauce on top. Take me now, Lord, I'm ready. It's, it's delicious. Thank you, my guy, let's go. We got a date. It's a bromance to Arby's. If you ever want to go to Arby's, you call me, I will go with you. If I have no money, I will, I, I will, do, I will busk on the corner of Meridian with my guitar to get money for Arby's, okay? It's a big deal. But she, she compromised. And I was like, honey, I love you. That means the world to me. I cannot believe that you would do that. It was, it was a genuine act of love. You can say that's small, that's stupid, that's whatever. But when I know she hates Arby's and she compromises to go to Arby's, that means the world to me. It means a lot. Why? Because I know you gave up what you wanted because of what made me happy. Now, obviously, the best case scenario is you compromise together and you come on a solution together. But if you are a very selfish person, yeah, Taco Bell. If you are a very selfish person, the best thing for you to do is just compromise until you can get your selfishness in control. And then you guys start making collective decisions together. But if you are a selfish person, one, I don't like you. Two, I'm kidding. Two, learn to compromise and fight the selfish desires that are in your heart. Learn to compromise. It's why I will sit there and I will watch Gilmore Girls with my wife. I am a fan of Rory. She's pretty cool. Who's the dude who owns the coffee shop? Luke. Luke's a good guy. It's awesome. Right? It's why she sits down and watches Jack Ryan with me. It's awesome. 
It's wonderful, right? Don't talk to me though. Don't ask questions. No, 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 no. Right? But she'll sit there and watch How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and that's where I draw the line. Sorry, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm out of here. And I'll say, I'm going to watch Saving Private Ryan, and she's like, I'm going to bed. Right? It's, there are lines, there are boundaries, okay? But we, we compromise for the benefit of the other person. What is your motive? If it is selfishness, learn to compromise, especially with Valentine's Day in the loop here coming up in a couple of days. Your husband, husbands, you're welcome for reminding you. <clears throat> but we've got to be a people who can break through a, an unhealthy motive with compromise for the benefit of the other person. You will compromise for Jesus. There are no negotiations. You will compromise. He will not. That's where this thing does turn, okay? There's terms of your surrender, okay? That's all it is. It's terms of your surrender. We need to correct our motives from selfishness to selflessness. All of this helps us to build a strong foundation of why I build my life this way, right? Number two, how can I make sure I'm building my life on the rock? I need a mentor. I need someone in my life who can help me, someone who can speak into me. No boundaries. They can cover any area of my life. They can talk about any area of their life, my life. And you need that too. You need a friend, someone you trust who can speak to anything. You've got to have it. And if you're married, you probably already have that person. And you didn't even have to ask for it. Right? But it's a very humbling thing to do. To sit down and hear what it's like receiving from you. It's very humbling. It's very uh, harsh sometimes. It's very easy to get your feelings hurt. Get your feelings hurt. It's going to help you. Just know that the other person loves you and cares about you and is trying to help you. They're not trying to put you down, right? I'm going to go the spouse direction this week because of Valentine's Day. But you you have a spouse. Nobody knows you like your spouse. Nobody lives with you like your spouse. Nobody has to put up with your bad breath in the morning like your spouse does. They know you, okay? Let them speak into your life. Let them tell you what it's like when you get angry with the kids. Let them tell you what it's like when you guys get in an argument. And listen. Don't go defensive. Listen. I'm not trying to start no fight on Super Bowl, okay? There's already a fight going on, and we're going to be watching that. Eagles all the way. Go Saints. Go Saints. There it is. Kansas City Chiefs are going down. Anyway, listen to your spouse when they tell you, hey, you kind of came off like this to the kids or hey, you came off like this to me. Have enough respect for yourself to be able to speak to those moments and have enough enough humility in those moments to listen when it's you. Because this is what I've learned. When I'm unapproachable, I'm already in the wrong. If I am someone who is unapproachable, I'm already in the wrong. If you are someone that you you don't allow people to speak into your life or to give you the hard truth of what it's like to receive from you, your anger, your your emotions, whatever it may be, then you're already in the wrong. Open up and let people speak into your life. It's one of the most freeing things that I've learned to do is admit when I'm wrong. I'm telling you right now, I love admitting when I'm wrong. I have no problem with it. I have no problem saying I'm sorry. I've learned the freedom that comes from that. Right? When, when I refuse to say, I'm sorry, I'm telling you that I'm more important than you. And I'm not. Good. The Bible says, let no one think you're more important than someone else. Yeah. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, you're really not that important. I took that to heart. <laughs> okay, I'm really not that important. There it is. I'm going to tell you right now, there's so much bravery in humility. 
Humility is not a scary thing. Humility is not a bad thing. Humility is one of the most bravest things that you can do. Admit I was wrong. Say I'm sorry. Some of you have been married and you've never even told your spouse I'm sorry before. One of the freeing things you can do for your marriage is turn to your spouse and just start saying I'm sorry. Just start saying I'm sorry. My bad. I dropped the ball. Honey, it's my fault. I'm sorry. Babe, I'm sorry. My fault. Start apologizing. Allow yourself to be approachable. Allow yourself to be humble. I remember when I was in high school, my freshman year, and I was uh, doing wrestling. Someone laughed. I didn't appreciate that. But (laughs) my freshman year of high school, like, I don't even know why I was on the team. It was bad. Like, really bad. I'm just not the athlete type. I get it. That's fine. But my freshman year was like, um... Stevie, maybe you should pick up like uh, chess. This is something that doesn't require your body being used at all for anything of value, right? <clears throat> if you play chess, I will play you chess. I know how to play chess and I've won my last like five games. So let's go. <laughs> Anyways, it was bad. I went like two and like 25 and one of those wins is because the person had a forfeit. So it's a dub, I'm taking it, right? But it was really bad. Like I lost every match. And after a while, it kind of got really like disheartening. Like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And so after every match, and I'd shake the guy's hand, I'd watch him celebrate. He gets his hand raised and I'm like, yeah, right? I'd go back to my coach and he'd say, hey, you did this and it worked out and it was really good. And I said, coach, stop. His name was Coach Brian. I said, coach, stop. I leaned over like this. This is like halfway through the season. I said, what did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? I just allowed myself to hear what I did wrong. He, he was doing the best he could. He didn't want to hurt my feelings. But when I gave him the position of a mentor and I said, no, 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 you tell me what I'm doing wrong. So I'd go over there after every match and he'd start to say something, no coach, no coach, and it became the known thing. Stevie, here's what you did wrong. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and he would just go down a list. <laughs> it was hard to hear at first, yeah. but I listened. And I listened and I listened and I listened I came back from the second year of wrestling and my, J- my JV year is right before I, I popped my Atlas bone out of place. So I had to retire, retire. I like using that word. Like I had to retire from sports. My body was like, dude, you can't do this anyway. It's just this time to be done. Right. And so I, I, I get there and I'm ready to, I'm ready to go wrestle. I'm like, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Why? Because I learned a lot of mistakes. I learned from mistake. And so I got out there and I'm sure those guys who are getting ready to wrestle me, we're probably looking at me going, oh, dude, I wiped the floor with this dude last year. This is nothing. One, one dude literally pinned me in like two seconds. No joke. It was bad. But my second year, I came out. I learned a lot. You're looking at a champion wrestler right here on the platform today. Why? Because I learned from my mistakes. I only lost one match that year. Why? Because I came out ready to go. I learned from my mistakes. I admitted I knew I was wrong. I learned from it, and now I had a great season my second year. I was walking around like this, what's up? What's up? I was like 110 pounds, like, what's up? What's up? What's up? You wanna wrestle me? You wanna wrestle me? You can go down, right? No, no joke, I had like almost every match was done in the first round, my second year wrestling. I just pinned dudes left and right. You wanna go, what's up? I'll, I'll take you right now. Actually, no, I won't. I can't wrestle anymore, but I learned from it. I know it's a dumb story, I know it's a stupid thing, but do you learn from your mistakes? because you're humble enough to admit you made a mistake. Are you learning from your mistakes or are you just moving on with life? I love that Huggies commercial. Some people live and learn, or their loves, not Huggies, loves. Some people live and learn, some people just live, right? 
Be a person who lives and learns. Do it. Accept that you do wrong. Now, with, with mentorship, you can never assume that... Let, let's flip this on the other way now. You can never assume that you're someone's mentor. Don't, don't just step into a position saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mentor this person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help them out. A mentorship is not something that is assigned. Mentorship is earned. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to be someone who's pouring into someone's life, it takes relationship. Yeah. It takes you getting down to their level if you think they're beneath you, which one, if you do, then you're not ready for mentorship. However, it's getting down with them, getting in the mud pit with them and saying, how can I help you? Yeah. That's mentorship. That, that's, that's leadership. It's getting down in the muck and the mire with the person because they're invited you to come and help them. That, that's, that's mentorship, all right? It's not something that is assigned. It is something that is earned through trust and through relationship. Next, how can I be sure that I'm building my life on the rock? Number three is maturity. Pastor did a great job last week giving us some honest truth uh, that things are going to drain you in life. Things are gonna pull you aside. You will be stressed. You will be depressed. You will be obsessed. There's always gonna be something that is vying for your attention and it's usually stressful or crazy or problematic. And we have to ask this honest question yet again, what am I energized by? What fills me up? As Pastor talked about last week, if you haven't listened to it yet, get on Facebook or YouTube, listen to it. Am I energized by the spirit of God in my life or am I energized by personal gain? In our emotions, in our feelings, we create vices. Right? And it's like, oh, I'm gonna cope with this stress or this depression or this anxiety or this obsession that I have with this. I'm gonna deal with it by doing this. And it might like make you feel like you forget about it. And so it's like, okay, cool. It's kind of under control because I've kind of forgotten about it. So I'm moving on from it. You don't have any real control when you do that. You, you don't have anything that really gave you a, a, an answer to the problem. You, you've, you've just coped with it overnight and usually wake up the next morning more stressed than when you went to bed, right? So if I'm gonna build my life on the rock, I need to grow, I need maturity, I need Jesus as the source of my strength to make wise decisions. All comes back to who am I listening to? Are they helping me wake, make wise decisions? And see, I, I've watched foundations getting laid before. We're about to watch a huge foundation going in right across the way here. I'm so excited, cannot wait. But you, you can have concrete, you can have rebar, you can have some plywood and some two by fours for you know, some, some posts to set up and some framing. But until you put it together, you don't have a foundation. You just have the aspects of a foundation. Yeah. You, you can know about prayer. You can have a Bible. You can go to church. You can have an awesome Spitfire playlist on, on Spotify, of like your worship jams or whatever it may be. But until you put it all together, all you have is aspects of a Christian life. Yeah. Put them together. Yeah. They work hand in hand. They work together. So I, I don't care if you have like the best Spotify playlist out there. Yeah. If you ain't using it, and it's not allowing you to press in more times of prayer on the outside of this building than all you have are aspects of a Christian life. Put them together. Put them to work. It is so important that you and I say, okay, I'm not just going to have my Bible on my nightstand and be a good Christian with it and make sure there's no dust on it. No, I'm going to open that puppy up and read it. There you go. I'm going to dive into who he says I am. I'm going to figure out who he is. That's what a Christian life is about. And for some reason, we just avoid prayer at times. Yeah. We're just like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I'm trying to figure out this, you know, how to handle this solution, what, what I need to do here. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm stressed and depressed right now. I'm obsessed with this thing going on over here. But you know, it's, it's fine. I'll, I'll figure out the plan. I say this all the time. Jesus and prayer are not our last resort. He's our first response. He should be the one we run to first. The next time a problem arises in your house, husbands, wives, Grab the hands of your spouse and say, can we just pray real quick? 
He's not looking for eloquent words. He's just looking to be put first. Just stop and say, hold on a second. Father, we need wisdom. Show us what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. He doesn't need eloquence. He doesn't need a long prayer. He just needs to be put first. Put him first. I'll tell you right now, nothing else will work. It's building your life on the sand. Nothing else will work. He cares about your job. He cares about your boss. He cares about how your, your boss and other people treat you at work. He, he cares how customers treat you. He cares about you. He, he cares about the project you're working on at home. He cares about the project you're working on at work. He, he cares about you getting a raise or not. He, he cares about you and, and what your spouse talked about last night as you couldn't fall asleep. He, he cares about your kids and what they face on a daily basis at school, especially if they're homeschooled. <laughs> he cares about what keeps you up at night. He cares about what wakes you up in the middle of the night. And he cares about what wakes you up in the morning. He cares about your next bill. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your home. He cares about your family. He cares about your family friends. He cares about your friends. He cares about the influences that you allow into your life. He's a God who loves you enough to care about every I dot and every T crossed. That's who he is. Why? Because he wants you to build your life on the rock. It is so important to him. Situations arise, step into prayer first. Make the mature decision. Put Jesus first. It helps you build a strong foundation for your life. Put him up front. If Georgian could join me up here, I'd really appreciate it. I was sitting here and I was studying. The sermon was done and I was excited. I was like, cool, there it is, awesome, sounds good. And I came in Thursday morning and started praying over my sermon, just saying, God, what do you, you, know, what do you have? Is there anything I'm missing? Ah, there's something I was missing. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about, okay, building my life on the rock. What, what, is, what does that look like? You know, I talk about it, motive, maturity, mentors, carpet. I was almost tripping. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, the rock though, the rock, the rock, the rock. And I was instantly drawn to one of my favorite portions of scripture, Exodus chapter 33. Moses is sitting there and he has this conversation with God. He says this, he says, God, I beg you, show me your glory. And God said, he said, I I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Behold, there's a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. And, I will come up, and it will come about, while my glory is passing by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Two, two major things here. Where, where does he tell Moses to stand? On the rock? People, people, the rock is Jesus. In the throne room of God, there's a place by God. It's the throne of Jesus. It's right there by him and Jesus is the rock of ages capital R, he is the rock. He's the cornerstone. He's the stumbling block. It's who he is. He is the foundation. Anybody who wants to build their life on the rock on me must do so this way is what he's getting at. And I'm amazed at this moment here because Moses is being told by God, hey, in the future, you're going to know about a rock of ages. And if you want to come to me, you're going to go on the rock. Going back to how I started today, listening to those people who instruct you and teach you the word of God, there's one in particular thing that I saw this past week. Someone got on there who's an ordained minister and they said, there are multiple ways to get to heaven. I said, no, there's not. You're someone who stands in the position of a teacher saying that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. There are not multiple ways to get to heaven. There is one rock. And on that one rock, do we find a doorway to heaven? His name is Jesus. 
There is no other way. You might be in this room today and say, hey, I was raised on multiple religions or I've tried multiple religions. That's just what they are. They are just religions. None of them are a sure, steadfast foundation. And you're sitting here saying, I tried other religions. Yeah, you tried. Look, obviously they failed. Jesus does not fail. The winds can blow. He does not fail. The water can rise. He does not fail. The storms of life will come. He does not fail. And there's this amazing thing that Moses is told, he says, my face will not be seen. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. Well, let's just think naturally about what's going on. Moses is now hidden in Jesus. If Jesus is the rock, Moses is hidden in Jesus. He's in the cleft, which means he's in this portion of the rock where he's surrounded by nothing but a rock around him. And he has one viewpoint out. And so God says, I'm going to cover it with my hand. Well, let me tell you right now, when you are in Jesus, you see God at work in your life. You have no other option. That's the only thing you can see. You see God moving. That's what God does. The Holy Spirit moves. He says, I'm going to cover it with my hand. I'm going to walk by and all my goodness will pass before you. I'll proclaim my name before you. And then you'll see my backside because no one can see my face and live. And I paused and I hit time out. I said, that's not true. Someone did see God's face in the Bible. His name is John. And in the book of Revelation, it says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. His feet were like burnished bronze. His, his, he wore a robe that was splendid and white. His, his face glue like the noonday sun and his eyes were like a flame of fire. That's a picture of our King, by the way. Amen. It's amazing, powerful, almighty Jesus, the rock. John saw his face and didn't die. Why? John was hidden in the rock. John received a covenant in Jesus. And what does that covenant do? That covenant is a bypass of judgment that you don't get what you deserve. You've gotten what I've earned for you, which is salvation. So when we put ourselves in the cleft of the rock, we put ourselves on Jesus, when we build our lives on the rock of his teachings, all of a sudden, I can see God for who he is, all his goodness, all his mercy, all his grace that I do not deserve, and his judgment passes me by. And I can speak to him as a friend. Why? I'm in covenant with him. Judgment can't come to me because I'm not breaking the terms of the covenant. I'm surrendered to him. My life is his. I have no option but to produce good fruit in my life. And because I'm going to produce good fruit in my life, I'm going to start to build my life on the rock of Jesus, the rock of ages that does not fail, it does not move, it does not surrender. My rock is steadfast. What did Jesus tell Peter, those of you who know church? He says, yes, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, yes, on this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell will not prevent. People, charge. The gates of hell cannot stop you. You've got a foundation that is sure and steadfast and a God who loves you and cares about you that the enemy cannot touch you. You have a God on your side. Satan does not. You know, people people say, oh, Satan is the opposite of God. No, he's not. Not No, he's not. Opposite means equal to, just opposite. God is... God. Satan was an angel, something created. He's lesser than. He's not the opposite of God. You don't have an equal opposite force stopping you, Mr. Newton. No. 
You have full access to the power of God to move in your life. There is no equal and opposite reaction to that. They cannot stop us. The world cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. The Satan and all his, all his power, all the dominion of darkness cannot stop that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he cannot put a gap between the covenant that I have with him and that you have with him. And I think there's more people in this room who need to make a covenant with Jesus today in terms, in terms of your surrender, your life over to him. It's time. If you are getting baptized, please make your way. I'm so excited to celebrate baptism today. What a perfect time. But if that's you, would you do me a favor? Bow your heads, close your eyes. You're in this room. You say, you know what? Yeah, I need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I need what he has earned for me. And I'm gonna ask him today, forgive me of my sins. You guys can make your way right over to that wall, right over there. Thank you guys. If that's you today, you need to ask forgiveness of your sins. You need to commit your life to him. You need to surrender to him today. If that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hands real quickly, please? Real quick, anybody here? Thank you for that hand. Any other hands? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for those two hands. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I want you guys, as a family, please repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I come to you in the name of Jesus to be included in the covenant. That this contract that I have now, I'm surrendered to you. I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not going to try to get my way. I'm going to build my life on the rock. You are the rock. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give a shout of praise, a hand clap for those people? Seriously, nothing, nothing better. Nothing better at all.